We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. One of the best pieces of feedback that I've gotten during the pandemic with the masterminds that I run is that principals are enjoying talking about instruction and not just talking about COVID rules and regulations. It's one of the great things that we get to do in the mastermind is focus on the things that really matter. And sometimes we try to focus on other things, on the distractions that take us away from our vision, but we're always able to come back because our whole goal is to help us get our schools to where they need to be. So I would love to have you in there. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about it before. You probably have questions. Just go to jethrojones.com slash mastermind and let's set up a time to call, to talk about it. That's jethrojones.com slash mastermind and then click on schedule a call. I look forward to talking with you. Again, that's jethrojones.com slash mastermind. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I'm excited to have on the podcast today, Jeannie Collins, who's the superintendent of Rutland Northeast Service Union in Vermont. Jeannie, welcome to Transformative Principal. Happy to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. So um, you are superintendent in a fairly rural uh, school district up in Vermont. Talk to us a little bit about, first and foremost, about what some of the things you're seeing there in Vermont that is not like the rest of the country. What are you seeing up there? Well, we Vermont is a relatively small state, a very small state compared to the rest of the country. And a large chunk of Vermont is 
rural, even our large school systems top out at around 4,500 kids. I have about 1,500 students. I think that I feel that Vermont has done a good job of keeping the virus at bay and has been very proactive in trying to limit the spread. But at the same time, schools needed to run. And it's been a very, very difficult time, difficult year, even with the guidelines to manage, you know, the spread of the virus in the schools, particularly with sports, that was particularly different. So being rural does not really protect us from the spread of the virus. It still gets there. And the numbers are there. So it's been a difficult, difficult time this year. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the the things that your district did, um, you know, just a high level overview of hybrid in person, online only, sure. what options you offered when, you know, sports came back, things like that. And then we'll talk about some of the lessons we learned from that. Sure. So we spent all of last summer, like the rest of the nation did, trying to figure out what the school year was going to look like. Our secretary of education pushed back the start date, uh, which normally is a local decision, but he pushed back everybody's start date to September 8th. We opted to bring, uh, in Rutland Northeast, we opted to bring back our kindergarten to fourth grade students, mornings only five days a week. And our high school, our fifth grade through 12th grade students were fully remote, but to assist with the families who really struggled with needing to go to work, we offered pod-based supported study. So basically a family could bring their kids in to the school and we would have a paraeducator or a floating sub running small pods and helping them with their remote learning. So they weren't teaching, the kids were still logging on. We gave every student a Chromebook. Those students who needed it also got a hotspot on their Chromebook. And so the, the person running the pod could help them access their learning. That quickly became apparent that that was not a doable situation. Um, it, was, it was very, very difficult on the paraeducators and subs who were doing it. And teachers were teaching primarily from home at that point, but a few teachers would come in and teach from school and started to ask me, can I just pull my own kids into my classroom? So that first month of September was was particularly difficult. And at that time, there was a lot of fear, too. I mean, everybody was so fearful. By within a couple of weeks, we knew that wasn't going to last for long. So we set up the first week in October to move into the model that we kept for the remainder of the year until this week, actually. So starting the beginning of October, K through six was in school four full days a week with a Wednesday remote asynchronous learning. And our kids who did not want to come in or if they were quarantined could stream into the classroom. So you could choose to be full remote, stream into the classroom, which meant that the teacher was teaching the kids sitting in the desk in front of her, as well as the computer that's sitting in front of her. So Wednesday was about how do I, how do I plan for this next week and get things on Google classroom and make sure that, you know, I'm really running two classrooms here. How, same content, two classrooms. How do I make sure I'm ready? That piece of running two classrooms, I've heard from everybody I've talked to that is just really, really challenging to do. And several years ago, I was the distance learning team lead for my district. But that was, you know, in 2009, when I did that, 2009, 2010, in that area. And it was very specific that distance learning in our district meant 
one high school taught multiple classes to other high schools, classes that were difficult to staff and fill, sign language, certain languages, things like that. And we had high-tech advanced equipment. We had microphones at every table, like everything was set up really nicely for that. And even then, it was really challenging to be able to do that. And I can't imagine people now doing that. That, You shared with me before some uh, links to uh, learning pathways, handbooks for students, guidance for staff, reopening information for parents, and Wednesday expectations. And so I've got those in the show notes that people can, can go and check out. I think that stuff is really good. Um, I do want to talk about some of the things that you've learned through all those different things that needed to happen and how you made those decisions. What was it that made it successful or not successful? I'm pretty sure it was successful, but <laughs> what, what made it more successful and what were some of the challenges you saw with that? So what made it more successful for the elementary teachers is if they threw themselves into it and planned some good activities that the students who were learning from home could go away and do and come back again. And also some good engaging activities as well. We also used a software Admentum that had uh, student-based drills and games that would provide some skills for students that would back up what was being taught in the classroom and kids could get on and they thought it was fun and they, they could do it at home as well. So having tools like that, other software things, Google Classroom, Seesaw, other things like that made it more successful. Where it was difficult is it was really a burnout for the teachers. And it was difficult when we had kids who went, who moved in and out of remote. This is why we did streaming. There was a push for me to have a separate remote teacher for all third grade students, for example. First, I wouldn't have been able to find one. And second, it would mean that your third grade student who now has to be on quarantine for two weeks for traveling leaves your classroom, goes to somebody else for two weeks, and comes back to you not knowing what happened in those two weeks. That's That just did not make sense. So what the other thing that, that was not successful, I think, was um, doesn't help. It happens all the time. We know it. But parents comparing how, what teachers were doing. Well, my teacher did this, and my teacher's not doing that. And so we'd start getting the phone calls. And the pressure on teachers themselves was great um, when that would happen. Middle school, high school, we also, we started with hybrid two days a week and three days out with Wednesday still being remote everybody. So district-wide, we were remote for everybody. And we did that on purpose because older kids could help take care of younger kids on Wednesdays. I, I, I really think that the remote Wednesdays in general as a way to manage this worked. It gave everyone breathing room in the middle of the week. It um, allowed a teacher's professionals time to do the planning they needed to do. However, what I was told was it also meant that schools had two Mondays a week to deal with. So we all know how kids sometimes return from a Monday a little bit more wired. Now they did twice. That and that and that's a funny thing that you don't really think about. You think, you know, you can just you can just adjust the schedule and, and kids will will adapt to it, which they will. But one of the ways they adapt is that you have this feeling of two Mondays. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I know a lot of other people have expressed thoughts about that. And there's there's certainly ways to manage that and make it better. But I I appreciate the idea of having a break in the middle of the week to get focused and recenter. And I think that that's, that's a good uh, perspective to take. So thinking about your leadership as a superintendent, your principal's leadership as principals, what was it that really helped it be more successful and helped you all uh, stay in the loop together and not 
not get lost in the minutia or the administrivia or whatever it is. Yeah. What was really, what was really helpful, helpful there? Communication. I, I have never communicated to the extent that I have over the past 14 months. And there are so many things I really like about it. So I started at the beginning of this writing almost a daily email to staff and parents because things were coming at us so fast. By this school year, I could turn that into a weekly, a Friday email. And I was still doing a lot of reacting to the governor has just changed this. So I had to time it. I always waited till after the Friday press conference in case something new came up. But people really started to look for those emails and putting in those emails kind of almost a um, an index. This is covered in this email. Help people go back to previous ones if they needed to. And it became just a part of the culture. The principals and directors and I talked about what needs to go in those emails each week, still do, and what messages should be coming from me and what's a school-based message, which we had never really done before, so that there would be consistency of messaging um, for the parents. And if, you know, that, I think that was a huge piece that was important. I've had several newspaper articles written because of something I put in one of those emails and a reporter was a parent and called up and said, hey, I want to write an article on this, which I wouldn't have had time or wouldn't have thought to point out to them otherwise. So I think all of that, I think just that that communication is, it seemed to build trust in the system. It let people know that I was um, in it with them and that I was responding to what I was hearing. Another thing is that I, I used a lot of um, thought exchange surveys. It's a, a product that we purchased that has been phenomenal, where we could really gather input from parents and staff and kind of give an outlet for what they were thinking and feeling. And then I could refer to those as well in the email. So it really created, I think, that level of communication really created a, a community that has been navigating through this. Yeah. And the enterprise level survey type stuff, the things that other companies use for customer relationships are, I'm seeing those come up more and more in education now. And I think that that's an area where there's a a growth opportunity for us to continually get feedback from our communities about how things are going. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with Regard to Teacher Well-Being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. And like you said, there are things that you just never would have thought about, like articles in the newspaper or 
getting those surveys and, and things like that right. that you just wouldn't have had time for before. How is that going to change going forward? And one of the other things was you talked with the principals and directors about how they, what should be in the newsletters. That was the other thing I was thinking of. So how is that going forward going to change how you do things uh, next year? And, you know, for sake of this argument, let's just say everything's back to normal, basically. What what kinds of things are you going to start doing now that you wouldn't have done otherwise? Well, last Friday when I wrote my newsletter, it was the first time in 14 months when I realized I didn't have anything new to say. And it was like, wow, <laughs> which made me feel like I was just becoming a newsletter, you know, where, you know, here's a place to put this stuff. And so that made me start thinking about, that was exciting. That made me start thinking about, so what does happen next year? I know that I will continue the thought exchange surveys. I think that they're hugely important. I might do a superintendent newsletter or email monthly as opposed to weekly. Um, I think continuing to align messages with the school administration is very important um, for us. And, you know, maybe my my monthly becomes an op-ed in the paper again, which we used to do a while ago. I, I, I think primarily it's I'd like to keep the communication going and the two-way communication going as best I can and figuring out what makes sense so that it's meaningful and not just yet another email coming at you. Yeah, you know, during the pandemic, there was this pressure to keep people up to date and keep them informed. And you still need information in whatever circumstance we're in. But you're right that sometimes it just feels like another email because it's not life and death like it could be during the pandemic. So how do you then keep it from becoming just another newsletter and still provide valuable information? And how do you know what is valuable enough that you should be sending it as often as once a week? Right. And I think what I don't want to do is I don't want to just create another newsletter. Um, I'm a parent of five. You know, I see those newsletters coming in from school and they get tossed on the dining room table and maybe I'll glance at them. But, you know, with five kids, I don't know, you know, how much I retain. And, you know, the schools send newsletters. I don't want to be in competition with that. But what are the district-wide messages? What is the frequency with which they should go out in order to keep people up to date? And actually, as I'm talking to you, maybe that's a thought exchange survey I need to send out to my community and say, okay, things are slowing down. How would you like me to communicate this year? What would you like to hear about? I, but this year, I, I wanted to get into a routine. Uh, they knew to expect it every Friday afternoon. And I would be clarifying whatever new stuff the governor said on Friday afternoon. So hold on, you'll get it on Friday afternoon. I don't expect that to be around next year. So I have to, I have to figure out how to keep that going. Because it it's, it's been a huge, huge, huge boon for the district, I think. Um, the support and the partnership that we felt from families through this has been tremendous. Yeah. And I think that's where we really need to examine what we're doing and find ways to make it stick more in the future. Because even if we're not talking about the pandemic stuff, we still want a sense of unity. We want people to work together. We want people to be focused on the same mission going forward. You know, in one district where I was at, we focused a lot on personalized learning and everything that we talked about for a time was around personalized learning. And it was a a district initiative that was important. But what was really most impressive was the conversation that was being had constantly, that it wasn't just 
you know, we're going to put it in the strategic plan and then we're going to put it on the shelf and we're going to come back in five years and say, did we get it? It wasn't that it was everything we're doing needs to be revolved around this. And that was, you know, before the pandemic. And then once the pandemic hit, then everything immediately shifted to pandemic, but getting that messaging out there and talking about it constantly about the things that really matter. I think you make a really good point. That's what parents need and want to be informed about. And how do you do it in a way that it doesn't come across as just another newsletter that you can ignore? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't have that answer yet. So maybe one yeah. of your listeners will tell us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Please let us know how you do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think that's really important. I have seen greater support for the school system through the constant communication of this year, greater support for the work that teachers are doing, all of which only can only benefit kids, you know, for working in partnership. I am also looking at, you know, how do we continue to meet the needs of those kids who thrived in virtual learning? And I'm a rural school district. We're not talking enough kids that I would hire teachers at every grade level to continue a virtual learning academy, nor did we have one. We did streaming into the classroom. You know, I talked to a parent the other day who said her 15-year-old does not want to return to school. He'd rather drop Mm -hmm. out unless we can give him something. Well, I don't want him to drop out. Right. And he's had a taste of this and it works for him. Um, my own daughter is a sophomore in college and totally online. And she doesn't want to go back to in-person. She wants to finish online. How can she do that? So there are some for whom this does work. Mm-hmm. And I think that we as public schools need to be able to meet that need, need to be able to provide that option for those kids for whom it works. Yeah. And the reality is, is, if it doesn't work, our traditional system, kids have left for years and they will continue to leave and go find something that does or find something right. that they think will be better, like dropping out. You know, in my previous right. district, our graduation rate was like 75 to 85 percent over the last five years. And it was going up. But that's still 15 percent of our kids that are not graduating on time or at all. Yeah. And and there's a way to reach those kids. And we need to find out what that is so that we can provide them the support so that we can give them the best chance of being successful. Even if that means, in my opinion, totally changing what high school graduation looks like so that we can make sure those kids have something that we can say is a preparation for them. One of the other districts I worked with, um, they had differentiated diplomas so that they had to meet the state requirement of minimum uh, graduation or credits to be able to graduate but they made it so there was a lot of ways to get that so that they could be successful and still graduate and not, you know, be left out trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life. And, you know, when one in five kids is not graduating, that's, that's a big problem. And and you're really not serving those kids well. So finding a way to do that and continue doing that, I think is really important. And and what the pandemic gave us was a forced opportunity to see that there are other options out there. Exactly. The same old, same old. I mean, education is very slow to make changes, but Mm -hmm. we all pivoted on a dime and suddenly had a one-to-one initiative that, you know, the community didn't want to fund for the last 10 years. Exactly. Now we have it. And teachers, you know, now know how to manipulate a lot of technology that they did not know 14 months ago. What do we do with that? And the Wednesdays that I spoke with you about that they were really meaningful for teachers, we're trying to look at, is there a way that we can continue some of that collaboration work. We can't take a full day midweek, I suppose. I'd really like to push that, but I don't think I'll get anywhere. 
but can we take a half a day? You know, and and would parents be more open to it now after having lived through this year than they were prior to this? How do we maximize the 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 ability this year to teach to treat staff, both teachers and other staff, as professionals? Really, I really enjoyed that. Like yeah. we said, no, we're not going to fill up Wednesdays with meetings. You're expected to use this Wednesday productively in order to teach the rest of the week. That was lovely. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, I think that that is that's a, a little thing you said, but a huge thing to the staff to be treated like professional professionals also. Mm-hmm. And in some of the consulting work I do, I help districts figure out how to do this uh, student-driven type of learning where kids don't have to have a teacher as a sage on the stage and not even as a guide on the side, but more of a compass. And the way that I see that is the teacher says, you're going in this direction, but where you really want to be going is this direction. So let's change a little bit and I'll help you get pointed in the right direction, but I'm not going to do your work for you. And I'm not going to give you 20 assignments to do to accomplish this. What you need to do is figure out how to get to that point. And that's where some real power comes in for the kids. Those Wednesday times, they can be times where kids are working on their own projects where they don't have to have the teacher there all the time. And they go back on Thursday and talk about what they've accomplished on their own projects and get guidance from the teacher on how to get back on track that the teacher is not directing it. They're just showing, mm-hmm. okay, you're way over here and you're not doing what you need to be doing. And, and those kinds of things just make it so that uh, the kids enjoy school more, the teachers enjoy it. Cause they actually get to do what they've wanted to do with kids the whole time, which is mentor them in an inspiring way. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what every teacher really wants? So I think there's a lot of opportunities for rethinking what that kind of stuff looks like that, uh, the pandemic gave us a perfectly good excuse to start looking at some different things. Very true. And how do we capture all of them and not not let them not let them go? Exactly. That that's important. And it's it's so easy to flip back to what we know. Yeah. You know, normal. It's normal. Yeah, normal wasn't actually great. Let's see what we could take with us as we go back to normal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jeannie, this has been a wonderful conversation. My final question is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? That was a really hard question. I have to think of something on the spot. I think that the one thing a principal can do to be a transformative leader is to stop and listen. Listen to the kids, listen to the parents, listen to the staff. And that, and then act on what you heard, but listen without ego, listen without predetermined agenda. Yeah, those are very good suggestions for sure. Thank you. Thank you again for being part of Transformative Principles. It's been great to get to know you again. And we originally met on the Cybertraps podcast where uh, Fred, you worked with for many years and uh, uh, definitely a worthwhile one to go listen to if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, because we talk about the technology side of all of this that we barely touched on in this conversation. So that's at Cybertraps.com. And thanks again, Jeannie, for being here. All right. Thank you. Hey, middle school principals, what if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? 
InControl SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy. And it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.